Thank you for listening to the Restoration City Church Podcast. For more information about our church or to support us financially, please visit rcc.church. Well, good morning. I feel like the sermon is done now, obviously, with that ordination. That it was uh, incredible. Um, incredible to be a part of. Uh, my wife, Bailey, and I are just so thankful to be here with you, to be able to celebrate uh, with you, and already um, we are floored. Uh, this is just such a beautiful, uh, incredible community um, of God that you have here, and so um, we're the ones blessed this morning uh, to be with you. Uh, thank you, John, for the invitation. A- absolutely incredible. And uh, to celebrate with uh, my, my cousin, John Michael and uh, Catherine. Uh, so fun. Um, so proud. So proud of John Michael. Uh, knowing all that he's done in his life, that he's at this point in, uh, in life, is uh, honestly nothing short of a miracle. Um, but uh, on- honestly, uh, couldn't be uh, prouder and happier. And um, pastoral ministry, it is a... Um, it is a high calling, as we saw in, in Scripture. It's a, it's a very important calling uh, for uh, the body of Christ, for the, the church today. But I, I also have to acknowledge uh, this morning that it is, it is a challenging calling, too, um, especially at this particular point in, in, in our history and in our country uh, it's a challenging calling. In fact, uh, Paul David Tripp, who's an author and a pastor, he goes so far as to uh, label it a, a dangerous calling, uh, in, in fact. And there are all sorts of um, factors and, and reasons we could give. We could look at um, the fact that we were uh, uh, once, Christianity in America was kind of had a central seat in uh, America, um, had a voice. And over the course of the last several uh, decades, uh, due to secularism, we have increasingly been more and more uh, kind of pushed to the margins of uh, society today. And with that, so have our, our pastors. There was once a, a day and age, think uh, Martin Luther King Jr., think uh, Billy Graham. There, there was once a day and age where pastors had a voice, and they uh, had a respected voice in uh, our society, and that is becoming increasingly uh, not the case. And so, uh, according to our, our kind of broader culture, uh, pastors are becoming either increasingly more marginalized at best, or um, they're kind of seen as maybe like oppressors of human freedom at worst, right? Like um, seen as the enemy. And, and that makes it dangerous. That makes it a dangerous calling. But then we could look at like all these other factors going on in, in, in society that, that inevitably have an influence on our church, and we're kind of uh, trying to navigate the murky waters of, uh, uh, of this and asking our pastor to kind of lead us through all these things. Uh, we can look at everything from, like, the separation of church and state, postmodernism, and, and the, uh, the rejection of any absolute truth. We could look at, um, like, the digital revolution and how that's had a factor, and what do we do as a church on that front— we could look at consumerism and how that kind of wars against uh, the Christian ethos and uh, threatens to uh, uh, commodify our, our Christian experience. We could look at, a uh, big one for me is individualism. Like the whole, you do you, be true to who? 
yourself. Um, don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me what to do, right? That has a, a huge impact on how we try to interact with what God would want for us in our lives. And so there's all of these factors uh, outside of the church, and, and society doesn't quite know what to do with pastors today unless they need like a wedding or a funeral, right? And on the inside of the church, there's all sorts of issues today that make it sticky. Let's just go ahead and like put a pandemic in there and like turn up the volume, right? All these factors. And if we're honest, uh, even in the church, I think we have sometimes a hard time knowing exactly how to relate um, to, our, to our own pastors today, which we're, we're going to touch on uh, here in a minute. So I'm, uh, I, I, I'm very excited for the opportunity to, ju- to be here and to um, uh, just share a couple of insights as, as we celebrate the fact that you do have this blessing and this privilege. Because as I call it, a, a dangerous calling. John Michael, aren't you glad I came today? Right? Like, but it is a blessing. And it is a privilege. And I think that uh, there is a lot that uh, Scripture has to offer us on how we are to relate to our pastors today. You've uh, uh, heard quite a bit uh, during the, the ordination process. Um, and I get to do that kind of in a way as an outsider, Uh that perhaps might have been a little weirder had your own pastors been giving this kind of sermon. So it's a, it's a privilege uh, to do that. And we are in uh, chapter 13 of, of Hebrews, as, uh, as was read. You can, you can turn there if you'd like. There's this uh, very small but important uh, passage, I, I believe, that really gives us uh, about, uh, I think we can glean about three different ways to relate uh, to our pastors in it. And Hebrews is an interesting book. Um, we don't know exactly who the author is, uh, believed to be either an apostle or someone related to an apostle, and uh, writing to a congregation. We don't know who the congregation is, uh, likely or possibly uh, the, the, the house church is in Rome. And this leader, though, in the church is, is uh, writing what is almost a sermon. We call it an epistle. It feels mostly like a sermon. Um, uh, but in, in chapter 13, the end of the the, uh, the, the message, if you will. He goes very epistle on, on it, and um, uh, just like Paul, for example, d- does this often. We get these kind of flurry of, of, of exhortations and thoughts and ideas that, um, that he has for the congregation. And, and uh, Hebrews 13, verse 17 and then 18, he's, he's really kind of addressing how we're to relate, um, how the congregation is to relate to its leaders. I'm going to read it again. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And right off the bat, obey and submit. Boom, right? Like he's, this is a pretty plain uh, plain text, it, it feels like, on, on the surface. But how does that feel inside when you hear those words? Given all the, the factors uh, that I mentioned earlier, for some of us, it might feel just fine. But for a lot of us uh, today, given the context in which we live, 
sometimes those words can feel a little dirty, maybe even a little suppressive. Obey and submit. And honestly, a little bit rightfully so. Because as we, we look at the, the culture around us, as we look at leaders around us, both outside the church and, frankly, inside the church, we see how leadership and power and authority can be so dramatically and drastically abused today. And it makes us uh, uh, struggle with sometimes wondering, well, how am I, am I, what does that even look like? What does that mean? In fact, in history, I would argue that this is maybe one of the most uh, dangerous pa- passages or verses in all of the Bible for the way it has been used by uh, leaders uh, in the name of God to, um, to coerce and control people to their abuses and their, their corrupt uh, desires, if you will. And so it becomes a, a, an extremely important uh, passage for us to understand and, and to know how uh, what's being said here, what's being asked of us, that we would know how to relate in a Christ-like way to our leadership in uh, the church. And I should say right off the bat, if you have been abused, whether inside the church or outside the church, by leadership, Big or small, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry that that has uh, happened to you. It is not the way of Jesus, and it's not what he is actually calling, to, uh, calling us to here, some sort of blind obedience or submission. In, in fact, when we uh, study this passage, when we study these two words in their Greek, the root meaning of obey and submit in this context, and then we look at the broader context of Scripture when we look at the examples we have of leadership in the New Testament, in the church. We come to find that this meaning is more akin to like a bent towards trusting or or an inclination to follow, uh, a wanting to kind of comply so that it is not to uh, blindly follow our leaders off of, of a cliff or, or to drink kind of the Kool-Aid outright, rather. Um, it is to follow our leadership and, and our pastor with kind of a good will, a certain expectation that they have our, our best interests at heart, but that we are, we are weighing all things. We're giving them kind of this benefit of the doubt in response to this God-given role that they're kind of to play in uh, our, our lives. Uh, because we, as we see, the truth is that they have been given, God has given them a role to play in our uh, lives. Why do, why do we follow uh, our, our leaders in the church? It tells us. Because they're smart and they're funny and they're charismatic and we like them. No, Right? We follow because, it says, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. How's that for a job description? Pretty weighty, I'd say, right? Like, the pastor's role is to watch over your soul. Like, that's a deeply 
spiritual, deeply important uh, role. They're to be alert to the kind of the spiritual condition of our lives. They're to be alert to what's going on in the world. They are to guide us and to guard us, to guard us from uh, the, the, the lies of Satan and sin and, and the world, and, and to guide us, to guide our souls towards the truth and the way of uh, Jesus, to equip us to live the way of Jesus in the context, in the world in which God has placed us, to be lights, to have our, our souls be lighted fires in the dark. That's their job. That's their role. It's what God has given them to do. And in the absence of the chief shepherd, as we read in, in 1 Peter, uh, in the physical absence of Jesus, he has, he has ordained in his, the body of Christ under shepherds to watch over our souls. But that role, uh, that role comes with a, a caveat, and it's a pretty big caveat. Here's the key. Alongside the authority that they have been given by God for the role, they also similarly have a responsibility to God for that role. Like, Spider-Man knew what he was talking about. With great power comes great what? Responsibility. And, and that's what we're seeing here. It says, follow because they have this role to watch over your souls, but they will have to give an account. And uh, several places throughout the New Testament, we find that there is both this expectation, again, we read a lot of it, and the, the, an expectation that uh, their words are going to match the truth, and if their words don't match the truth, if the things they say, if the things they lead you towards don't match what we find in Scripture, we call them false teachers, and that their lives would actually match what the truth uh, calls us to. And there's lists of qualifications that we just, we just read. And uh, we actually see this play out all uh, the time. As, as you're reading the New Testament, as you're looking at the life of Paul, it's so fascinating how he chooses to lead. What he doesn't uh, do is control and coerce people. And he's an apostle. Like, if anybody could, it would be Paul. But what does he do? He, he guides and he coaxes and he points people first, one, he points people to the truth. He says, I appeal to you, therefore. I urge you. By what? By the mercies of God. Do this or that. So he points people to the truth and then he points people, second, to the trustworthiness of that truth, truth based on his own example. Right? He says like, like, hey, remember, you know how I was when I was with you, right? He says, follow me as I follow Christ. So uh, pastor, pastors have this uh, authority up to the point that their lives and their words match the truth. And they're responsible to God for this. And our responsibility under God is to uh, follow. So far in, uh, as in and what they say and do, 
matches what we, we know to be true. And so that's kind of the first way that we are to relate to our pastors today. We're to follow our pastors because of the role that they wear, a role that comes with both some authority in the context of operating as the body of Christ and some responsibility because they're only under shepherds. And there's also this unique like element, right? They're under shepherds and they're also sheep. They're both. And, and, and there's a reason that we have a plurality of, of leaders in the church. The elders and the pastors, there's a plurality because we're all leading one another uh, as well. A role that has a measure of authority, but a role that comes with a, a greater measure of responsibility. So, John Michael and I, we're just two of um, four cousins on, on that side of the family, all right? And um, uh, we were all actually relatively close uh, despite the distance growing up. Um, he, he lived in uh, Texas, I lived in Nebraska, but when we would g- gather, we were relatively close. We were also relatively close in age, all four of us. And so uh, despite, the, despite the fact that we were close in age, we still managed to have kind of that like familial like pecking order, right? So naturally, I was the oldest. I was the, 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 the wisest and the most mature and the, the best looking and that, you know, like I could go on, I'll stop. John Michael was guess what? The youngest. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so naturally, he was the most chill, easygoing dude, which probably doesn't come as a surprise to you guys. Uh, but he was, he, he was regularly the one that would just kind of follow along with what the rest of us had going on. Uh, now, uh, often, uh, we would uh, go to grandpa and grandma's, and we would uh, be sent to a back room to play all four of us, uh, left to our own devices, right? And when that would happen, there was always this unspoken understanding from both the cousins and the parents that I, as the eldest, was what? The one left in charge, right? Uh, and, and I found that out, the, uh, what I found out real quickly, though, is that um, my authority, it had certain limitations, right? Like, I would have an amazing idea, but I could only get away with so much before one of my cousins would say something to the effect of, well, that's not what dad said, or I'm telling mom, right? Like, my authority had limitations, and I was put in check by my own cousins if I tried to get out of line. Now, on the flip side, though, right, I also had the most responsibility, And then there was that time when, when, when uh, our parents did come back into the room and John Michael's duct taped to the wall, right? And like, whose responsibility was that? Like, they didn't look to him for an answer, right? They looked to me. Why? Because I was supposed to be watching over them. I was supposed to be making sure that they were being uh, safe, that we were uh, on the right path. Now, it may or may not have ever happened. I'm going to, like, leave that one hanging out there because um, we were perfect little angels most of the time. But, but that's the idea, right? Authority, responsibility, it's a role that they play in the, in the larger context of uh, the body. 
So let me ask you, how well are you following the lead of your pastors as, as a church? In your own hearts, as you hear the truth, as you hear them talk, as you hear them speak into your lives, do you consider it a God-given role that they are playing in your life? Let me, um, uh, base, uh, let, me, let me go off script for a minute and, and just say, uh, this, is, it, this is really cool. Uh, John Michael I mentioned that he is the, he's the youngest, he was the youngest, he was the youngest brother of two, and he was the youngest uh, of four cousins, and so uh, naturally he was a follower. Um, he uh, had to learn to follow well, but here's what's, um, maybe I shouldn't go there. Here's, here, here's what's really cool about that. It's just a fact, it's a biblical fact, that the best leaders are first and foremost what? Good followers. And let me tell you that John Michael is a great follower. He's had a lot of practice, and it shows in his life with Jesus today. And so you can follow him because you know he's following Christ. And you better believe that I do. And that's what we get to celebrate today. This ordination process, as John mentioned, it is a recognition that he's following Christ. Not because he's perfect. In fact, if you find a perfect leader, run. Run far away because there's something going on. There's a facade. We only have one perfect leader, and his name is Christ. We follow him because he's imperfect. You follow your pastors because they're imperfect, but they know who is perfect, and they keep pointing you to him. All right, back on script. All right, follow, follow, I'm, I'm way off script. Here we go. Um, second point, honestly, that, that all begs uh, a, a second point. Oh, I think we can... Um, we need to be relating to our pastors. The second way we need to be relating to our pastors is to be praying for them. But given everything I mentioned, given the burden uh, that they bear, pray for your pastors because, because of that burden uh, that they bear. Um, Hebrews uh, thirteen seventeen. just after it. I think that the author of Hebrews understands that point. Um, that he understood the burden that uh, leadership holds. Because even as and after he says, o -o obey your leaders and submit to them, because of, of this role that they, that they play in your lives, what do we find in verse 18? He says, pray for, pray for us, right? Pray for us, for we're sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. He's saying there's like this beautiful humility uh, on display here as a leader, right? He's saying, like, this is a big responsibility. We have to answer to God for the role that we play in the body. And we know we're only human. Our conscience is clear. We believe we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Like, our hearts are noble on this, but pray for us. We're only human. We don't want to mess this up. 
and we need your prayers. Now, I'm going I'm to say that the majority of pastors today actually fit this mold. And it's that t- 2% out there that kind of ruin it for the other 98%. Even as I uh, pr- uh, uh, gave John this, this, uh, th- this message, uh, he was like, yeah, and sent me a, an article of just last week. A, a guy, a pastor in the name of Jesus out in Denver, ruining it for the rest of us. But most pastors today fit this uh, description. They're just, there, there aren't any other, uh, many perks to being in charge. That's why I can say that today. Even less so than in Paul's day or the, the early church's day, there just aren't that many perks to being in charge in the church. Given all the factors I've, I've mentioned earlier, they're, they're not in it for the prestige. And I, I, can, I, can, I can promise you, they're, they're outside of that 2%, they're not in it for the money. Like, I decided to go into uh, ministry, Mom, because the pay's great, right? Like I said, no pastor ever, I promise. Uh, and, and then sometimes we just don't realize how hard our, our pastors work. They, they work really hard. It's a, it can be a casual role sometimes. Like you don't see them in uniform. Sometimes they don't even have an office or the office is the coffee shop, right? And so you have this like perception that they sip coffee and they chat with friends uh, a, a lot of the day. But, of course, there's the weekly service to coordinate. And in it, the sermon itself, which takes an average pastor 15 hours a week, is it must be absolutely theologically accurate, but ideally engaging and culturally relevant, not to mention at least a little funny. Then there's the Monday night elder meeting to be run, and we hope that we're keeping up with the five-year vision to lead the church in some sort of direction, not to mention staff and leaders to, uh, uh, to, to keep up with and volunteers to recruit and train. And now if my daughter gets married, my father passes away, or my wife gets sick, I sure hope my pastor's available for the wedding, funeral, or hospital visit. And of course, there's a message and some sort of words of wisdom. I hope it will go along with that. My pastor is my friend, so I'm hoping that we can grab coffee on a regular basis. And, oh, I've got this ministry idea, Pastor. I just need your help with Pastor. And gee, sure, I uh, hope you're leading us all by example, spending the most time with Jesus, praying for the church the most, loving your wife and the family well, and resting, because God did do that on the seventh day. It just can't be Sunday, because you're on that day, right, Pastor? Right? There's a lot. And I'm, I'm, I'm giving you that all tongue-in-cheek, because I know I'm looking at a lot of people that work really hard, too. In fact, I used to live uh, uh, in Stafford. I'd come up here from time to time. You guys got a workaholic problem around here. And so I need to be very careful uh, as I say this. I know you work really hard too. And then I know that especially you all in the church and as a quote-unquote church plant come after all of that and you spend your time volunteering your extra hours to make the body of Christ happen. And we need to acknowledge how hard you work uh, uh, too. But as we talk about your pastors today, I just need you to appreciate that they're working really hard uh, for you. And and the result actually is that um, given all the factors I've mentioned, um, way more often than it should be, the, the result is burnout uh, there was a Barna Research study from just last March, um, so not even a year old. Pandemic's kind of aside now, and uh, two in five pastors say they've seriously considered quitting ministry in the last 12 months. That's 41%. The number one reason given by that, uh, by a wide margin, is stress of the job and uh, burnout. Now, a lot of that might be on pastors. 
Um, and, and I am thankful to understand, as I've had a chance to interact with John and John Michael, that they are working really hard to set up healthy rhythms of life and to model those rhythms for you and expect those rhythms for you. That's such a healthy thing. I also understand that you are an absolutely phenomenally loving community to your own uh, pastors. I've seen it, and thank you for that. Uh, So just consider a lot of this kind of a a cautionary tale, uh, if you will. But also keep in mind, I can guarantee you, they feel the weight of this burden uh, that they bear. And so the question this morning is, how often are you earnestly praying for your pastors? As they watch over your souls, you need to be praying that God is watching over theirs. Pray for your pastors. And, and finally, Hebrews offers a, a third way we're to relate <clears throat> to our pastors that I, I think is vitally important uh, today. If we go back up to uh, verse 17, second half, after he says, uh, follow and, uh, your leaders because of that role, says this, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. How do you contribute to the joy of your pastor's leadership? Well, for the sake of a, a third point, because we're all Baptists here, I'm going to just say, like, we need to be appreciating our pastors because of the calling that they, that they dare. Appreciate your, your pastors. That will contribute to their joy. You see, thankfulness um, leads to humility. And humility, when that happens, for your part, you're going to be more likely to follow, not begrudgingly, but... Uh, cooperatively, with a cooperative heart. You'll be uh, avoiding becoming that person that is responsible for your pastor's what? Groans. I love that. Like, who wants to be responsible for your pastor's groans in a given day? Like, ugh, not again. Not that person. Not, you know what I mean? Humility allows space for your pastors to speak into your life as God intended and for you to receive their role uh, without resentment. And so are you more prone to uh, make your pastors groan? Or are you uh, prone to getting them excited about how they live and relate to uh, how you relate to their uh, role in, in your life? Here's the, here, here's the charge. Let them lead you with joy. Let them lead you with joy. We've talked a little bit this morning about joy. Let them lead you with joy because all other factors being equal, it is their joy. It is their joy to lead and to serve you as part of the body of Christ. It is their calling. Now, we're all called. There's no such thing in the the body of Christ as this, like, division between sacred and secular, you know, like, if, if you have a passion, a God-given passion, you have been called. But their calling is to serve and to lead you. And it is their joy to do that. It's why they work so hard for so little. They're sold out for Jesus. They love what they do, and they love you. As John mentioned, John mentioned, I got to go to a conference. I was invited by them to go to a conference out in Portland. It was a phenomenal time. I got back so on fire, so ready to serve my own congregation. I was jazzed. And you know what? It had nothing to do with the conference. The conference was fine. It was great. 
I got a chance, though. I got to sit and observe, fly on the wall witness to John Michael and John just chatter away in the front seats about their plans and their passions and their desires for you and your community. And you need to know that they love you dearly. It is their joy to be here and to serve you. Don't, don't discourage that. Encourage that. Appreciate them for the calling uh, that they dare. And kind of in closing, here is the most profound part in my mind of all of this. When you follow them well, when you, when you pray for them, when you appreciate them, when you let them lead you, it, it's, it's not just for the pastor's joy. It's for you. It's for you. What does it say? Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Why? For that would be of no advantage to you. Let me put it differently. Let them lead you with joy because it's to everyone's advantage when you do. And that's the big idea. If I were to leave you with like one thing this morning, based on what we're taught in Hebrews, let me just suggest that when you relate to your pastors with this kind of intentional care as the body of Christ, Restoration City, when you relate to your pastors with care, your community is going to thrive. It's going to thrive in a way that is so rare today. Like the, the, the surrounding community is going to look at your community and it's going to say, wow, that's what it's supposed to look like. This whole like leadership followership thing. Wow. And you're going to point them to the way of Christ and they're going to want a piece of that because it is so rare today. Among all the corruption, among all the weird leaders we find doing all sorts of things out there. When you relate to your pastors with care, your community can thrive in, in a way that is rare. And, and, and when that happens, pastoral ministry, it may be a dangerous calling, sure. But it is a beautiful calling. It's an absolutely beautiful calling because it's how God designed it. It's an absolutely beautiful calling when we all embrace it as one of God's many gifts to us. So you guys, I am, it is my prayer for you this morning as you get to, you get to bring on another pastor into the fold that you will embrace that gift for everybody's good for the good of your community, for the good of Arlington, for the good of D.C., all for God's glory. Amen? Let me pray. Uh, Father God, we, uh, we just thank you for uh, this morning, for this opportunity to um, submit all of ourselves to you, to, to, to just uh, honor you in the roles that you've given all of us. I just pray for this church. I pray for Restoration City that they would be just a blazing fire, hearts full of you, and that the community here would see that. We lift you up. We honor you. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.